the Kentucky state bird is a cardinal. So a couple of y'all did know that. <laughs> that was a surprise to me, something I didn't know. Um, it's an interesting thing that I found out this week. And, you know, I found it kind of fun. And I wanted to share it with you and think about if, you, if that's something new to you. You might take that information and you might think about it next time you see a cardinal. And you might bring it up in conversation with people who know far more about birds in Kentucky than you do or than I do. But it's not going to change the way that you're a citizen of Kentucky or the way that you go about your day-to-day life. Now, in Epiphany, we're talking about new revelation about Jesus. It's about Jesus being made known in a new way. Now, is that the same kind of thing as that little thing about the Kentucky State Bird being a cardinal? Is that, is that the sort of revelation that we're talking about? Now, clearly, we're talking about Jesus, and Jesus is way better than a cardinal. So, obviously, it's a little bit different. But do we treat information about Jesus in a similar sort of way? Is it information that goes into our head, and we think about it, and we might bring it up in conversation? But what, what else is there to it? I want us to realize this morning that Epiphany isn't just about new information. What do we do with a new manifestation of Jesus that we experience in Epiphany? Today's scripture readings bring a little bit of clarity to that, especially the gospel reading. So today's reading comes from the Gospel of John, and it begins a a few days before the water turning into wine that Jesus does at a wedding. And that's the third great event in Epiphany, But we start a few days before that. See, the Gospel of John, that turning of water into wine, comes at the climax of several days of Jesus being made known in new ways, especially to his disciples. He comes comes to be known by his disciples, by people who begin to follow him more. Um, And he's given titles like Lamb of God and Messiah. This series of days is like a a crescendo of smaller revelations up to the larger one. And the the reading today begins with a retelling of the baptism of Jesus. Now, Rick preached last week about the baptism of Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew. But if you noticed, today's reading is a little bit different from that. It's not just an account of Jesus walking up to John. It's it's not that account of of a sort of third-person perspective of the baptism. It's actually John the Baptist remembering the baptism and talking about it and talking about the significance of it. See, John the Baptist saw something at the baptism of Jesus that opened his eyes in a new way to who Jesus is. See, he even says, before the baptism, John the Baptist didn't know who Jesus was. His ministry had had been proclaiming the one who was to come, But now something is different. At the baptism, he saw the Spirit descending on Jesus. And at that moment, he realized that Jesus wasn't just another person. Jesus was the Son of God, the Lamb of God. And now he's proclaiming that to his disciples. It shifted the way that he's approaching his ministry. And now he's proclaiming, no longer there's one to come, but here is the Lamb of God. Now, what might he have meant by the Lamb of God? That's not, um, that's sort of familiar language um, for us, but 
It, it could have been referring to the suffering servant in Isaiah. There's language about the suffering servant, about the servant bearing the sins of the world and being led like a lamb to the slaughter. So he could have been referring to that. But I want to draw another connection. That's actually from the Old Testament reading this morning. We read earlier from Exodus 12, where Moses and Aaron are commanding the people to, to take a lamb and sacrifice it for the Passover. See, the Lord was promising to protect them. There had been a series of plagues escalating to try to get the Pharaoh to release the people of Israel. But Pharaoh hadn't, hadn't done so until this final plague which was going to be the death of the firstborn son. And for the protection of the people of Israel, they're commanded to take a lamb, sacrifice the lamb, and put, put the blood from the lamb on the doorposts as a sign of the Lord's protection for his people. Maybe what John was seeing, coming to realize, was that Jesus was the lamb of God whose sacrifice would protect all who claim his blood as protection from the death of sin. It was at the baptism that this, this light bulb went off for John, and it changed the way that he was ministering. He, he couldn't help but point to Jesus and say, here he is. Here is the Lamb of God. And he doesn't just do that. He sends his disciples after them, after Jesus. Now, so the first day in our reading is, is John the Baptist preaching about the baptism of Jesus, and the significance that it had. And then the next day, he's standing again with his disciples, and he sees Jesus walking by, and he says, look, the Lamb of God. And then he stops. And I wonder if the disciples went, oh, wait, wait. Jesus isn't just an object lesson in John's preaching. Jesus isn't just a good example. Jesus is the one, the point the one who they've been waiting for. And so the disciples left. In an unprecedented move, they left their rabbi and went to follow this Jesus, the Lamb of God. Maybe they began to realize that Jesus was something different, someone different. And maybe he was the Lamb of God who would take away their sin. And so they follow. For many of us in this room, like the disciples, it was the realization of Jesus as the one who would take away our sins that inspired us to follow him, where we shifted, we turned, and we started following him. This is one of the biggest things that changes when you realize that Jesus is the Lamb of God. But I want to notice that it doesn't just stop there. The disciples don't just follow Jesus. It goes a little bit deeper, a little bit further. See, Andrew is an example of this. So the disciples, they start following Jesus, and Jesus invites them further. He says, come and see where I'm staying, and he invites them to stay with him. But then the next thing that Andrew, one of those two disciples who followed Jesus, the next thing he does, he's so convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, that he goes and he finds his brother and he brings his brother to Jesus, which results in, in Peter becoming a disciple as well, and not just any disciple. See, this, this epiphany, this realization of who Jesus is, it begins with a transformation of your person where you, where you become different, but it doesn't stop there. 
it starts to trickle out into relationships with other people. And we see this echoed in the epistle and even a way where this can get harder to follow. We read the first part of Corinthians, the first part of the first chapter. And in this place, Paul is giving thanks for what God had been doing in the Corinthian church. See, the apostles, kind of like Andrew, just a cascade had happened where more and more people bearing witness, especially after the resurrection. And the Corinthians had received the testimony about Jesus. And God had confirmed that testimony among them by giving them spiritual gifts. But see, as it becomes clear later on in the book of Corinthians, the people of the Corinthian church were not letting the testimony of Jesus shape the way that they were in their community. Rather than using their spiritual gifts for the body, for the common good, as Paul later goes on to explain to them that that's what they're for, they're instead using them for division. They're refusing to be united. They're they're being characterized more by arrogance than by the love of God in Christ. They've even forgotten, they've forgotten what it means for Jesus to be the Lamb of God who takes away their sins. And so instead, they have been divisive and contrary within their community, resulting in spiritual immaturity and, and a weakened witness to the believers around to the unbelievers around them. Because if they're not being characterized by the love of Christ in their, in their um, community, how could they be a witness to who Jesus is? A contemporary f- figure who has a similar um, witness, who has been a similar witness to the church, is actually Martin Luther King Jr. We're going to celebrate a day tomorrow where he's going to be remembered in many communities, um, including in Nicholasville. There will be some things. But In his own life, Dr. King embodied one who had been transformed by an understanding of Jesus as one who takes away our sins. And not only that, but he had recognized how that transforms relationships for him personally, and he also had a vision for the way that America and the American church needed to live into that more fully. If Jesus is the Lamb of God, we are to walk in forgiveness and righteousness and justice. Rick talked last week about Jesus, how Jesus as the Son of God brings justice, not through power tactics, but through humility and compassion and justice. And Dr. King was an example of this. Dr. King reminded us that we are individually and corporately called to be characterized by Jesus rather than by divisions or by anything else. If we've responded to the, to the call of God, if we've encountered Christ, We're called to live out that transformation in our lives and in our relationships. The call that Dr. King had for America to fight against racism and and those sorts of injustices in our society was not founded on some kind of secular utopian vision. It was founded on the good news of Jesus and the transformation that Jesus could, can bring it not just impacts our personal life, but our communal life together. Dr. King is one, a modern, he stands in modern times in the line of, of prophets that goes back through John the Baptist and Paul. People who bear witness to Jesus and say, here is the Lamb of God. Follow him and be transformed. This is what Epiphany is about. So I want to challenge you for a moment to think 
How has encountering Christ changed your life? How will it transform your life in the coming week? For some of us, as you think about that, we might hear that question with a bit of habituated contentment. Of course I know God. Of course I follow him. That's what I do. But I want to encourage you, don't, don't let your contentment dull your attentiveness to the presence of our Lord. Let an awareness of his presence here this morning shake you awake and strike you with awe. For others, when I ask that question about how has God transformed your life, how has experiencing God transformed your life, you might be frustrated. Maybe you haven't sensed the presence of the Lord with you recently, and this question just feels like a confirmation of distance more than anything. Maybe this, this talk about a new experience of Jesus has you feeling hungry but afraid that that hunger won't be satisfied. But if that's you, don't be afraid. From the Passover sacrifices in Egypt to the baptism of our Lord to the messy Corinthian church and to this very room today, God is in the business of making himself known in Jesus Christ through the power of the Spirit. Don't be afraid. In a few moments, we'll be coming again to the Lord's table, where we encounter the living presence of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Today, hear the words of the liturgy like it's the first time. When Rick proclaims, Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us, be surprised and respond with hope. No matter where you're coming at, where are you coming from this morning? Whether you find yourself in a state of contentment or with sorrow at distance, find comfort. Because this is the place where Jesus meets us. We are coming face to face with the Lamb of God this morning. Receive him and allow him to transform you. And as you turn and move towards your life and school and work and home, I challenge you to be like those first disciples, to follow Jesus. Let this experience of Jesus, this epiphany, draw you closer to Jesus this week. And through being closer to Jesus, give testimony to who Jesus is, to your friends, to your family, to strangers even. Testify to who God is with unrestrained lips, like the psalmist says, so that maybe we can have the honor of saying, many will see what God has done and who God is, and will worship and will put their trust in the Lord. Amen.